I'm Michaela from The Millennial Outside. I'm a Nature Valley girl, a pasta addict, and a big fan of the phrase, you win some, you lose some. I wear lots of hats. This is me sharing my musings on the simple things in life that I find extraordinary. Can I tell you a story? My new favorite conversation starter revolves around dough and tomatoes and cheese. A while back, a favorite artist of mine, Brendan Leonard, semi underscore rad on Instagram, posted a chart of his perfect pizza. It was made up of the best eight slices of pie he'd ever eaten. Since then, it's been my favorite random question to ask, though I haven't yet found someone who's as passionate about remembered slices as I am. My husband can't remember anything other than the takeout we got a few weeks ago. My friend Marion only eats pepperoni pizza. Is it weird, vividly remembering a life's worth of pieces of pizza? In college, I worked at a pizzeria. The owner was from Italy and would come in every few weeks and do coke in the bathroom, but it was the place that cemented my love of cooking and good food. We made everything from the dough to the sauces from scratch, and it turned me into a bit of a pizza snob. Rewind even further back than that job, though, and pizza was always a part of my life. I think it's part of every American kid's life. We don't bleed red, white, and blue, but if you looked under a microscope, I think marinara and Nickelodeon and M&M might be in our DNA. Papa Murphy's Take and Bake was a staple in my house growing up. Before there was internet on cell phones, my mom had the local store's number on speed dial. Once a week, we'd be out running late errands, and my precocious six-year-old sister would call for a family-sized pizza, half Murphy's combination, no sausage, half Hawaiian. The smell of dough and marinara nestled in saran wrap is an instant shot of nostalgia. If we're being honest, a slice of Murphy's combo is probably the first slice of my perfect pie. Love at 425 degrees. My husband only ever ate Costco pizza as a kid, but a slew of pies danced through my memories, ranging from okay to downright bad. The greasy slices of blackjack we'd pick up at lunchtime at Friday school. We'd drop a buck off at the office, and the whole church turned school and knew when lunch break was, thanks to the smell of overly brown cheese wafting out of the delivery driver's stack of warming bags. We'd eat our slice on paper plates in a circle on the sanctuary carpet, that purple and green and gray pattern of every early 2000s public institution that I'm sure was created just to hide grime. On Sundays, we'd ply our neighbor friends to come to Sunday school with us with the promise of Cece's endless buffet. As many kids as there were seatbelts, or sometimes more, would pile out of our van dressed in their Sunday bests and we'd fill our plates with truly terrible pizza and the world's gooey cinnamon rolls and our cups with every soda flavor mixed together. There was pizza at Chuck E. Cheese birthday parties I wished I didn't have to go to, and Pizza Hut delivery when I babysat my sister. There was the year the youth group at church sold coupons for Old Chicago Pizza to raise money for their missions trip, and my mom probably single-handedly funded the whole thing. We got so sick of those deep dish pies. There was an ancient chain of pizza parlors in my parents' hometown of Eugene, Oregon. We don't really have the light here in Colorado, but there was an arcade and a play place and big tables and vinyl booths, and it was the place to be for families. We'd always gather both sides of the family at Papa's Pizza when we'd come to visit, cousins running amok, pitchers of beer and orange soda everywhere, and a table piled high with pies. My mom would always bring one of their pizzas home with her on the plane. Like classic rock and Saturdays spent in the Colorado sun, pizza was a constant through my childhood. My second perfect slice of pizza didn't come to me until I was 18. Roaming the streets of Italy with my dad and sister, my stepmom back at our rental, we ducked into a tiny pizza shop and ordered slices with potatoes and zucchini and eggplant on them. I didn't know that pizza could be so crisp and thin. 
When we got home from that trip, I went off to college. My dog and I moved into a studio apartment in Boulder, and I worked 30 hours a week at the pizzeria in a nearby town. I didn't try very hard to make friends at CU. I drove down to Denver every weekend to be with Topher, so my coworkers were the only people who staved off my loneliness. I was broke and always on the go, so dinner most nights was slices of free pizza if it wasn't a carton of vanilla yogurt. My favorite was the stuffed gourmet spinach. Sautéed, garlicky spinach and black olives and cheese, finished with a braided crust and dunked in marinara. I think I loved it so much because I made it all, every bit, by scratch. I filled the giant dough machine with yeast and flour and water. I weighed and rolled balls of dough late at night, someone's phone blaring Blink-182 out of a pasta pot, our ghetto speaker. I'd make the marinara and sauté the spinach. I'd stretch and fill the pie and braid the crust. I'd slip it carefully into the oven and run the cutter through it, its golden crust crackling. And I'd eat it off a paper plate in my Jeep on the way home at 11 p.m., the only respite between work and hours of homework I'd inevitably fall asleep on top of. A G-spin is my third slice. I swore off pizza for a few years after that, but then we discovered sexy pizza in Denver. Nothing had come close to the thin crust, Napoleon-style pizza from my since-shuttered work until I ate a slice of sexy's cheese. When their garage doors are open on summer nights, there's few places I'd rather be. Slice number four. Slice number five is from a cult spot in Fruita, Colorado called Hot Tomato. Started by mountain bikers, it's the ultimate spot for locals and pilgrims alike. We stopped on a whim on the way to Moab and ate stinky deluxe. Meatballs, feta, fresh tomatoes, jalapenos, and garlic on the patio. The lattice is filled with growing things. Three days later, after one of those adventures that just doesn't seem to go as planned, we were back for more. Our spirits a little crushed, pizza a soothing balm to the soul. When your body is tired and you're mentally tapped, it's not the adventurous that calls our names. Korean dumplings can wait for another day. Burgers, beer, pizza. That's what a tired soul wants. So many of my favorite spots share this theme. We put our order in at High Mountain Pies in Leadville late on one of those nights where your dog tired and just a little blue. It took over an hour to get our pie. We ate it in our dirty Subaru, box precariously perched on the shifter, which Topher calls a prindle. Park, reverse, neutral, drive, and I guess the one looks like an L? The San Luis had pulled pork, ranchero sauce, caramelized onions, avocado, and cilantro on it. I'd never encountered a pizza quite like that before. It was the highlight of our weekend. Definitely number six. The next slice breaks my heart a little because we recently found out the restaurant closed for good. Thanks to COVID-19 and gentrification, our favorite little spot in Aspen shuttered this last summer. Plywood covered the doors and windows, and a notice about future condos greeted us when we pulled up the other weekend. We found Rhino's Pub and Pizzeria one night on a multi-day trip to Aspen. We were fed up with paying too much for mediocre food, so headed to the diviest place we could find. Down a flight of stairs, through a cornhole-littered patio, you entered a dark basement. An assortment of seating, a bar, and some pool tables awaited. If I'm being honest, the slice of pizza at Rhino's isn't what really puts it on my list. It's the fried pickles that came first, molten hot and dunked in spicy aioli. It's the same waiter who is there every time, absolutely smashed. He never remembered to bring us water, but he's got real problems, and we do too, to quote Jake Owen, so we tip him anyways. I wonder, with a pain in my chest, where he's at now. It's that feeling that the real world exists in this delusional mountain wonderland. 
So if there's spicy aioli to dip it in, it's on my list. I don't think I could in good faith call myself a buff if my last slice wasn't Cosmos. Real talk, I didn't think much of them in college, probably because the professors who ordered stacks of boxes to bribe students to come to club meetings or watch presidential debates never remembered to order Spicy Ranch. There was a Facebook page my first year in Boulder called See Boulder Confessions, where students wrote in anonymous truths. I swear a quarter of the entries were dedicated to that spicy ranch. Since then, I've had my fair share of drunk Cosmos and sober Cosmos, and the Maverick Duncan Spicy Ranch always hits the spot. What is it about dough and sauce and cheese, baked into melty perfection, that's so integral to our culture? I stopped at 14, but I have dozens of other pizza experiences I could tell you about, and pizza doesn't even make the cut of my 10 favorite foods list. I'm sure I've got you thinking about your favorite pizza right now. The memories tied to it, the flavors of that first bite, long-ago jobs and crushes and sticky booths and cheesy movies and your favorite people. So here's my conversation starter. What eight slices make up your perfect pizza? Send me an email at themillennialoutside at gmail.com. See if you can spell millennial. I'd love to hear about your favorite pizza memories. On a bike ride last week, we passed a creek bottom filled with red-winged blackbirds. I'd forgotten how much their song, the soundtrack of my childhood, fills my heart. I don't have any advertisers, so instead I'm treating you to a minute of birdsong. Maybe they're trying to sell you shit, who knows. In their language, it's beautiful. Deep in the Colorado wilderness, far from any city or road or mark left by humans, save for twelve small wooden signs, sits a magical cirque, a valley tucked away in the shadow of a ring of imposing mountains. From the top of the peaks, the winter snow melts in the midday sun and rushes hundreds of feet down the mountains to a lake. The song of the waterfall can be heard throughout the valley, harmonizing with birds and the wind in the pines to create an intoxicating melody. Like any proper adventure, it's not easy reaching the valley. You'll encounter blazing sun and swollen creeks and relentless bugs. Your feet will blister and your legs will ache and you will climb, climb, climb and wonder if it's worth it. The cirque is watched by many mountains, but its guardian is the stoic Lone Eagle Peak that reflects in the lake on still days. When the light plays over the mountain's face, its spirit is revealed. An eagle to some, or maybe a stony-faced chicken. When you round the last curve of the trail, when you've thought for several miles already that you can't possibly take another step, you're met with the stern-faced chicken god reflected at your feet. Pictures cannot do it justice, and a mobile smile plasters on your face. Almost there. Twelve lucky mortals get to experience the valley each night in the summer. 
You hike past each numbered spot, heading deep into the woods until you're sure you've lost the trail. Suddenly, you see a weathered plaque, the number 12 just barely visible. You've made it to the edge of humanity's reach. Up and around a rock wall, you find yourself overlooking Crater Lake, and you realize that the first lake you encountered, Mir, was really just a pond. You drop your heavy pack at your perch above the lake's shores, and you know that yes, being one of the few souls who gets to experience this hidden cirque is worth the trials and tribulations to get here. You hang your hammock with a perfect view of the waterfall, and you watch the scuttling clouds cast shadows on the mountain. A marmot scurries about. As the sun begins to flirt with the horizon, you head to the shores of the lake and pump water, so crystal clear that you feel silly doing so, through your filter. When you take a drink of the shockingly cold liquid, you realize you've never tasted anything so pure. There is no flavor, but it's intoxicating and it's void. The same way there's no more perfect scent than the absolute utter lack of scent of an expanse of freshly fallen snow. You boil the water on a precariously perched backpacking stove and eat rice and drink warm wine out of a can. The light begins to turn golden on the mountain and you rush back down to the first lake, clutching your camera in one hand, wine in the other. As the sun turns the chicken god into liquid honey and the clouds into fluffy pink cotton candy, you watch in awe, the only humans around. The lake is glass, the reflection perfect. Do the other campers not care? Or, you wonder, are you somehow the only humans in the valley? Either way, you feel like the only two-legged creatures on earth as you wander back to camp, the stars beginning to peek out from the bluing sky. In the morning, burrowed in your sleeping bag, wearing your down jacket and thick socks, you hear rustling outside the tent. You wonder if the marmot is back, chewing a hole through your pack. You barter with your husband and finally pull your boots on, grumbling that if it's a bear, he better be ready to exit the tent in two seconds flat. You pull the tent flap aside and step one foot into the morning light and freeze. You lock eyes with a shaggy, white creature, and for a moment, your brain doesn't process what it is. Mountain goat, you whisper shout. The creature's beady black eyes stare back at you before it returns to licking a rock, and you realize there are not one but two goats in camp. They seem completely unfazed by your presence. You watch them, warily for a bit, before making coffee as they continue to snort around. At one point, they get into a scuffle, making bleeding noises and chasing each other around. You are of no more consequence to them than the trees in the forest or the squirrels scampering past. You head down to the lake to filter more water and startle a beautiful female moose in her calf. They spring through the woods, away from you, their soulful brown eyes seared into your memory. Later, as you're pondering the lake from your rock, you hear a noise and turn around, and the pair pass swiftly through camp, followed by a bull, their velvety ears swiveling about as they disappear up the valley, back into the wild's wild. On the shores of the lake, mountain goats frolic, and moose stop for their morning drink, and marmots scurry about, unencumbered by the human world. Here in the cirque, rain falls, and the skies turn pink, and sometimes the lake is calm, and sometimes it's angry, and the water flows down, down, down the mountain, feeding other lakes closer to civilization, where people crowd. And most of us will never know. In the cirque, you leave the human world and enter another realm, one of beasts and sun and earth and pines, an elemental world untouched. Here, you won't hear human voices. Your lungs will be filled with the icy breeze that dances over the glaciers and the scent of sun-soaked pines 
and you'll be met with shocking splendor at every turn. You'll exist side by side with the goats and the moose and the marmots, and you'll know when it rains and when the sky turns pink and whether the lake is calm or angry. When it's time to leave, your tent rolled and stuffed, your camelback full of the exquisite lake water, you take one last look at the chicken god. He does not acknowledge your presence, but you acknowledge his. You still don't see another human until you're a mile down the trail. Maybe you were the only mortal being in the valley that night, sleeping where the wild things were. You will carry the Cirque's secrets as you climb down, thanking the creek, the clouds, the trail, and the chicken god as you leave, back to your own world. Back in civilization, you will turn on your tap and think of the lake water straight from the snow. You'll realize it's evening when you snap on a light in your apartment and wonder, briefly, what the sunset looks like in the valley tonight. You'll dream of the chicken god's face and be forever changed because you know of a hidden cirque. Follow Sea Salt and Parm on Instagram and don't forget to rate, subscribe, comment, and all those things podcasters normally ask for. You know the drill.